0: Welcome to this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and my guest for this episode is Mariah Humphreys. Mariah is a Muskogee Nation citizen, writer, and educator. Through her experience of navigating the tension between Native and white American culture, she brings Native awareness to non-Native spaces. With over 20 years of vocational ministry service, she's focused on theology, racial literacy, and reconciliation within the American church. In our conversation, Mariah shares her story of being raised by a Native American mother and a white father, and learning to hold on to her Native American identity as she navigated a world of whiteness. She shares about her own faith journey, and how she embraces both her Christianity and identity as a Native American woman, instead of either or. Finally, we dive into the Native American historical stereotype of being a violent aggressor, and take a look at the real history of Native Americans as peacemakers. We also talk about navigating Thanksgiving and reclaiming the holiday with learning real history and the importance of land recognition. Mariah, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. And- really just grateful to have you here. I, I, like I said, when we were pre-talking that I really appreciate your grace with me trying to just have, make this conversation happen. And we have a couple mutual friends, Patty and Marcy, and um, they've just said beautiful things about you. So I just feel it as a privilege to get to talk to you today.
1: Thank you. They, the fact that we have those mutual friends means that you are good people because those two women Mm -hmm. are amazing and life-changing and a strong source of encouragement. So I'm glad that they are both in our lives.
0: Yeah, yeah, they really, they they truly, truly are. I could go on and on about them, but we're gonna talk about you. <laughs> Great. So uh, before we do, it is Native American Heritage Month and I really don't like to just have like token guests on, but with Thanksgiving coming and knowing that you work for Be The Bridge and I've been wanting to share your story and get to talk to you. So I feel like the timing is really really good for that. So I just appreciate you, your willingness to share today during this month.
1: No, that's great. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked.
0: So can you tell just a little bit about yourself, like your day-to-day life, where you live, how many kids you have, all of those sort of things? And the land acknowledgement, absolutely, if you think that's important to do. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you want to start off with that as well, when you share where you live.
1: Yeah. So I just want to start off with his Jay. And my name is Mariah Humphreys, as has already been discussed. And I'm recording this episode from the ancestral lands of the Tawakoni, the Tonkawa, and the Huaco, who are part of the Wichita. And so today, that's an area known as Waco, Texas. So I'm officially in Central Texas. And it's always just important for me whenever I speak or do anything to take a moment. Um, just to let others know um, that I'm acknowledging the land that I'm on and the people who took care, great care of it. So just to thank you to the Tawakoni, Tonkawa, and Waco for their stewardship of the land and that I continually uh, lament the dispossession of their lands that happened in the mid-1800s. So, But then additionally, um, I am also biracial and a citizen of the Muscogee Nation and a member of the Thlapflaco Tribal Town. And who are currently in Oklahoma, but originally from the Southeast region of the United States. And so I kind of navigate the tension, the strong tension between um, being Native American and white American culture. So very, very simple life that I have, just navigating that very light tension in our country today. Um, but I have decided to, you know, dedicate my time, dedicate my energy and my love for research, really. Um, and at times I will admit, my mental health as well, Um, just to bring Native, uh, you know, Native American awareness to non-Native spaces, including any non-Native space. So including any racialized group or the white majority. And I just want to make sure that um, our experience is being told, our collective experience, and then also doing my own research to learn about other um, tribal nations since there are 574 um, federally recognized tribal nations in the U S alone. So there are quite a few of us, you know um, but my husband has been in vocational ministry as a pastor for roughly 23 years. And I myself grew up in a pastor's home, which is a whole nother experience in and of itself. Um, so church and ministry is um, a space that I'm very familiar with, um, with the both positive and the negative But it is a a space that I am passionate about. It's also a space that I strongly try to hold accountable for um, historical actions and present day actions. I have a a master's in theology from Truett Seminary and in my work, both, I guess, both professional and personal, um, I do work with Be The Bridge and that tends to focus um, on Uh, theology for me and racial literacy and reconciliation all within the American church is kind of where I specialize. And I just, I love to write. I'm a reader. And Netflix is like on my home screen, on my phone. So that's always close. You know, I'm a binge watcher. And so, but in my full-time job, you know, that's, I work at an institution of higher learning. So I work at Baylor university. And so there I do marketing communications and Also, you know, the last couple of years, really trying to represent and provide a revised view of Native America and place a light on the Native American representation on campus. It's a slow process, but there are a lot of people on board. And so that's a beautiful thing to watch change within a space um, that you live in daily. So. I have three, we call them offspring. So I have three offspring and they range from anywhere from 18 to 23. So you, you've got somebody right in there as well.
0: Yes.
1: Um, And so my two girls are at college and our son, who's the oldest is off living life, with his own business and, you know, living the best 23 year old life out there. (laughs) And me and my husband have been married about 27 years and you know, as uh, Andrea can see behind me, I have a chocolate lab that is roaming around my desk. So, um, but that is, that's kind of made a nutshell, a very, you know, detailed nutshell, but yeah, that's, that's kind of who I am. So.
0: And there's so much there when you were talking and like the, the tension that you hold one living in Texas um, with a theology degree, but also being an indigenous woman, having a white father, a Native American mother, like there's so much you hold in that body and so much to your story. And that's what I want to talk about today is just how have you held on to your faith and your story, yet living where you live and then navigating all of that. Um, so before we do that, I want to go back real quick to the land recognition. Okay. And that's something that I, you know, I think we hear more and more hosts doing, people recognizing in posts, all of that. So tell them, and I have wrestled with, is that you or me? I'm glad that's you. We're just going to say that we're just live and whatever. If their dog barks or we hear a... Ringing because I'm a little stressed out about my dog making a noise. So we're just going to go with that. We're just real humans having a conversation here.
1: Yes. And, and speaking of the offspring, I've turned off my phone so they will no longer try to FaceTime me after class. So
0: I did mine as well. So we'll just make sure, double check. Um, so as Welcome a white woman,
1: wo- everybody, that's
0: right. As a white woman, I, I've questioned, like, okay, should I do that or am I, is that performative or is that something? So talk a little bit about that, like your thoughts with that. Should, do you want everyone to be doing that? That should everyone, I mean, as far as people that are posting locations on Instagram
1: or hosting from a certain location. Yeah, I think it's actually, you know, it's it's kind of a trendy thing, you and know. Right. And so that, and that's why
0: I'm like, I don't want to just doing that because
1: it's trendy. That's right, exactly. right. And so that always lends itself to, you know, criticism and evaluation. But for me, a land acknowledgement is important, you know, I think it shows a step of awareness whether somebody goes and does something beyond that um, and steps from kind of that performative into, you know, steps into allyship or further, um, you know, acknowledgement or learning, you know, advancing their their awareness beyond just, um, you know, looking up Native America, you know, nativeland.ca mm-hmm. and, and finding out whose ancestral land you're on. I think it's an important thing, though, to start to practice. And I know there is a lot of criticism around that because there is a lot of performative um, just reasoning behind it. And you know, there's, I think there's even a video out there somewhere where it kind of shows someone who does it, you know, ahead of a lecture because it's kind of a higher ed academic Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, you know, before, you know, a lecture and then it says, okay, into our topic, which has nothing to do with the land, you know, or the Native Americans. And, um, and there was nothing beyond that. So I think it's important to not only recognize um, just the reality that this land um, was, possessed by somebody else, you know, and people lived here before us. I think that's an important step of awareness. And for a lot of people, that's a big step because for a lot of people it is we don't even we're just getting beyond the fact that we're realizing that they're native Americans still around. So it is a big step for some people, but I think beyond that, I think it's taking that step into learning about topics of today. You know, what, First of all, where are the people, your ancestral lands, where are they today? You know, I know that the people from the ancestral lands I'm on, I know they are now located in the southern region of Oklahoma. And so I've purposely tried to learn a little bit more about them and know how they, you know, were removed or you know, forcefully or voluntarily, what have you, whatever narrative, even that you want to take on that, um, you know, and just be able to have a little bit more knowledge about who they are. And then in general, just start to pay attention to native, native awareness, you know, um, you know, MMIW on May 8th, you know, indigenous people's day and just different steps Um, just to be able to not necessarily fully, you're not fully diving into allyship, but you are taking those steps forward in awareness and um, just acceptance that there is something a little bit beyond what we've been taught our entire lives. And so I think that's important because I think Mm -hmm. even, even I learned about Native Americans very briefly Growing up, and it was usually in state history, and it was a mention, right? It was usually around a war or some sort of battle, and you know there was the rival and it was the native American and so you know, even beyond that, just being able to um really kind of dive into a little bit more of the people of you know, Native America and who they are. And things like there are 574 federally recognized tribes. You know, there are several hundred um, cultures and religions being celebrated and and spoken and honored. You know, just steps like that, that go beyond. But I think it's an important thing. I I really encourage people to do it. I encourage people to look it up, um, learn how to enunciate these, these words and these names that are so difficult at times. Um, because a lot of times it sounds not necessarily, you know, you've got the English behind you and this is a totally different, um, language. And so I encourage everybody to step into that, um, but not just to do it just for the sake of doing it, you know? And I think like your motivation, you know, just from what I know of you, you wouldn't do that just performatively. You're really taking it seriously. And I think a lot of people are doing that, but there is the expectation to go beyond just the, um, acknowledgement. So does that, does that help? Yeah, kind of that
0: practice? makes total sense. And we will, we'll put the link to that. I saw you share it in the Be The Bridge um, Facebook group. So we will put the link to that for folks. And even in that post, you ask people like, look and see, yes, acknowledge the land. But then, like you just said, dive deeper and learning about the indigenous people that, that first right. that own that land. So it's it's taking those next steps. And right, right having these conversations with indigenous people like you is one of them and things that we'll talk about today, as far as MMIA and that. So no, I appreciate that. And that makes a lot of sense. So thank you. Thank you for that. So before we do dive in, I just want to know your, your origin story. And like I told you, you can go as far back. Some people like to it because it's so important to their story and their passion, like to start with grandparents, great grandparents. So wherever you want to start with that, because I'm sure your ancestors are driving your passion today and,
1: and why you speak out. Yeah, very much so. And I actually, um, it's, it's not a heavy question. It's a really good, a good one. And I'm glad you asked it. There is a heaviness to it. Mm-hmm. And so, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why, but um, there's a Dr. Twyla Baker. Um, she's Madan and Hidatsa woman. And some of her colleagues at, you know, a short time ago, kind of came up with this this perfect term for what Native American people face when they're kind of asked about heritage or, or topics today. Mm-hmm. And she calls it, they dubbed it um, translation exhaustion. So the mm-hmm. idea is you're asked about a current topic or something, you know, Native American um, in foundation. And in order to really talk about that, you've got to actually revisit, you know, decades or generations mm-hmm. or centuries to be able to talk about those issues, to be able to bring it in light to today. So that's why I'm glad that that you asked the question just Mm -hmm. to go back, just like, just go all the way back, you know, how far back, you know, you want to, because if you said, Hey, so what, you know, what is it today that is making you want to, um, you know, carry on this work or talk about this work of being Native American and this awareness, I would have to go all the way back anyway. Mm -hmm. So just thank you for yeah. not knowing, but acknowledging <laughs> some, you know, in your, inner mind that this is where it was going to head anyway. So, yeah. um, I appreciate that, yeah. um, question where I'm like, yeah, I don't have to explain it. And I just, I just get to go back and talk about it. So,
0: well, with um, that, I appreciate you sharing because I know there's trauma in that story too. Yeah, and there that is. can be hard to dig up because that generational trauma you're, you're still feeling today. So, that's why I give people the leeway, like go back as far as you want and start where you want. So um, right. I just want to acknowledge that too. So thank you. Yeah. And
1: I think that's, you know, I just think that's very, I think mm-hmm. it's wonderful. So thank you for even um, being aware of that. And so one of the things with being Native American is we're a very, very oral tradition. And so there's not like all of these things, we're not a written um, people. So it's not like we can just go look up in the archives and go back. So, so many things are orally passed down. I am lucky enough to be an ancestor of one of our second principal chiefs, uh, ward coachman um, back in the mid 1800s. So I I am um, not a common story, but I am lucky enough to be able to have documentation because there was that official um, position within our tribal nation. So for me, that is exciting. And I I do recognize that that is not uh, the reality of so many of my indigenous brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. but, you know, five, five removed from a pretty significant um, person within our tribal Mm -hmm. nation. And Mm -hmm. it's, there's just this coolness and this pride to be able to see, um, you know, some things were typed out or what have you, but um, you know, this handwritten text and the words and how things were, you know, spelled and it just things like that. That is just a beautiful thing to be able to have in, you know, in my computer at all times to be able to kind of go back and, and look. And so I try to talk about word coachman as much as I can, because that's important to my story. Mm-hmm. And it's important just to be able to have that the confirmation that we are, that we were there and we are here and there's this intelligence and it's not just this simple people. So all of that to say, I like to kind of go back there and, you know, we, this was all around, you know, the removal and we were heavily, you know, when we were removed, we were heavily primarily and still are today in Oklahoma you know, there's the, there's the McGirt versus Oklahoma decision that was, you know, made a year ago. So, you know, Oklahoma is primarily Native American land again, which we always knew. Just now everybody else knows it. So, you know, there was, that was a great moment. So there's a lot of history there, but, um, you know, just being able to have those names passed down and just like everybody else, you know, you're, you're named after your ancestors. And so it kind of comes up to, you know, my mother, who was, you know, a, a coachman and native name originally was, uh, I believe coach Mai. I just haven't found the actual, um, like an audio or how that's actually pronounced yet. So pretty close to it. And so she was also this woman who was very much into lineage. And so she told us stories, our aunts told us stories, our mm. uncles told us stories. And so we knew about the people who came before us just like we, you know, I talk about them to to my kids. So I think the beautiful thing is since we are so highly oral that those stories are passed down and it's not just go read a book or it's not just, Hey, here, you know, ancestry.com here's your, here's your tree. And it's all laid out this, you know, this beautiful picture, but there is these stories. And so therefore there is that pain that's also shared, but also the triumph, you know, just the, the strength and the individual strength and the strength in numbers and and things like that. But um, I grew up in, I'm one of the first ones in my family to grow up in a biracial home. So there is the complexity of that as well. And there is the... Um, yeah, there's just, the, it's, it's a com- lot of complexity
0: when I heard, I think I heard that part of your story yeah. on another podcast and I was like, wow, there, there's a lot behind that part of her yeah. story. Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot behind and there and uh-huh.
1: it's a beautiful story. I think it um, really shows, um, just Imago Day and how mm-hmm. beautifully created every one of us are, but because your dad was a pastor also, right? A Baptist yeah, my dad pastor. was a pastor too. And so he was a pastor of primarily Native American churches, which is a whole nother layer. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, as a white pastor being in native American spaces. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuances there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but one of the things that really has just formed me completely and shaped me today is so much how everybody else says too. but my mother, um, the reasoning behind that is because, uh, she passed away when I was younger. You know, we, we have very, bar- you know, we've very briefly discussed the loss of a parent, um, you know, I was 18 when my mom died. She mm-hmm. died young and her, you know, she was 41. And so, so there was, there was, there's that um 18 years of packed in um lineage and heritage and who you are and who we are, um, that I'm able to kind of like draw out yeah. for the rest of my life, yeah. right? And so I'm grateful for those 18 years of condensed. Um, education yes. from my mom. And then my aunts continued that after my mom passed away. And, um, you know, cousins, and we just, you know, through conversations, we continued that on, so but
0: your mom, real quick, so to interject. so your mom being married to a white man, she still did not feel the need to try to erase her story. She kept claiming her story, telling you. and that's that's really powerful because so many times, as you know, the, the story was, try, was tried to be erased or the white man tried to erase it um, and their identity yeah. has that we are still here. And your mom was like, from the beginning,
1: like, we are still here. This is our story. I'm here. I'm claiming it. Yeah. So that's really I think, powerful. I think what is... You know, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think one of the things that's really unique maybe in, well, I guess everybody's story is unique, but one of the things that I have noticed in ours is my dad actually kind of did the opposite. He kind of really Mm -hmm. immersed himself Mm -hmm. into who she was. And so learning conversational language, being part of um, having those friendships really come in and, and take root, being part of whatever he could as you know, a quote unquote outsider yes. um to be part of that and to really learn and to immerse into so much. Um, so really we were in kind of a bicultural home mm-hmm. in a sense, because he really did embrace that and loved that Native Americanness that um you know she disembodied. So and that is I, unique. Like, I would not say that most <laughs> I'm yeah, guessing
0: that you know,
1: that's it, not the norm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, you kind of tend to, especially in a um, interracial marriage, it, it, unless you live in both cultures, you tend to kind of, you know, move towards one culture. And so mm-hmm. I I had moments in my life where I was very much around majority white spaces. Um, I navigate that space very well today. Um, and then spaces where it was very much native American heavy, you know, predominantly And I say Native American and not necessarily Muscogee because Native American life is we're just all kind of friends, you know, and Mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. historical issues, of course, but, you know, we're just kind of immersed with each other. We go to the same churches and we go to um, the same camps and um, we'll all kind of collectively come into gatherings. And so even though there is a bunch of individualization, there is also that collective. And so that's Mm -hmm. why I say Native American spaces, because I grew up around a lot of um, Native American tribal nations. And so that was, uh, I don't take that for granted. And I'm so grateful that I was able Mm. to have that, um, because my children are not having that same experience. And so even though we talk about things in our home and we try to educate as much as possible, that immersion into that culture, we are just not in those, um, states, those regions. Great. And, you know, as the death of people that you're close to, um, you know, as they, as they pass on, there's, you know, just less and less communication, sadly. And so, but yeah, that's, you know, my, my mom's story is a big part of, of who I am, because there was a lot of um immersion that she had even within other native communities. So she, while she was pregnant with me, she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Well, you know, back in the early seventies, it dates me a little bit, but back in the early seventies, that was significant and that Mm -hmm. was um, crippling literally. And so she went through a lot of surgeries, a lot of processes, and there was just a lot of, um, pain, literal pain and constant, um, you know, turmoil, basically, physically. And so she retired early. She was one of those that, you know, master's and bachelor's in four years, Uh cum laude grad, recognition and went on to be a professor and all of these mm-hmm. things this career path was just kind of like laid out in front of her and then she gets sick and she has to step away from that and so that desire for education and that desire for teaching and that desire for others to learn was still there so she just went different routes with that passion of hers so she taught the GED courses, and she taught Bible studies. She created Bible studies. Mm -hmm. Um, She came up with um, areas that she could, you know, tutor and um, search out people who needed help in an area. And so she used her, you know, research skills and her desire to be able to learn herself and be able to really put that into other people. And so she continued that process of um, educating others. And so that's why I say that her life was probably one of the most significant, obviously mm-hmm. in my life, because it's a parental relationship, but it's also, I watched her firsthand because she was home all the time and we did have yeah. to take quite a bit of care of her and things like that. But I watched her desire to help others. And I think she was probably much more personal than I am because I'm kind of like an introvert. And so, you know, I prefer not to be around people. So I may not have had like, (laughs) I like, it's the one thing with the pandemic. I'm like, all right, I think we're okay to actually just be by ourselves. Right. Like we don't, we don't have to, you know, remove those masks quite right.
0: Exactly working yeah, from I, home, Zoom meetings, they're fine. All of this yeah, is just I'm like, fine. It's, you know.
1: it's totally fine. You know, welcome to, welcome to my, my comfort zone.
0: But what but I'm hearing is... from your mom, she really instilled in you just a true sense of self owning your story, who you, who she was, she owned her full fullness as a native American indigenous woman. And you, yeah. I'm guessing you did not look at that then even when you were in white spaces, did you look at that? Like needing to hide where you, who you are or be less than because of your mom. I mean, were you able to own your own indigenous ancestry more in those white spaces or did you still feel like, Oh gosh, I need to like code switch and adapt and all of that.
1: I think the code switching happens for most of us just because we acknowledge the space that we're in. And so it's not necessarily I, I believe it's not necessarily for us to feel comfortable. It yeah, is for right. the other to feel comfortable around us, which in which in a sense makes us comfortable because there's not the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. So I think that's always there. But definitely, it was in our home by both parents, and I, I think that's also I want to make that clear too: is by both my mom and my yes, dad. Yes, this is who you are. Yeah. So you you are both. You are not you know, half this or three-fourths this, one-fourth that, there was no fraction of you. Mm -hmm. You're just completely who you are. And so that was taught and reaffirmed at home. And so then when I went out, you know, there was the culture and there was the society that kind of pushed against that. And there was definitely times where I was thinking, okay, you know, in this moment, do I have to, be somebody different, you know, or Mm -hmm. in this moment, I'm being pointed out, I'm being tokenized in many ways, whether through education, you know, in school and classes, teachers, you know, especially this time of year, it's, you know, hyper, hyper exposure for being Native American. And so there was those times too, especially being an introvert, right? There's that people pleaser aspect where you're like, I, I need to adjust to, but there was never an embarrassment of being Native American, or there was never the, um, you know, this is something that outside of moments of, of racism where I, when I was younger of, I don't want to be this anymore. Um, you know, my mom helped me navigate that and accept that. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I haven't necessarily had to Deal with that too much, and you know, once I once I got older, of having to hide who I am. Um, if anything, it was like, no, th- you're missing this as well, you know. And this mm-hmm. is who I am, and um, and so I'm grateful. that did I always take advantage of those opportunities, maybe not, <laughs> you know. So that right, that's right. also on me. So there are times where you know, I I definitely should have spoken out, and I definitely should have come to a defense, and um and I just stayed quiet, and so you know, I. I have to deal with that on it, you know. I I, I look that comes like, with a little age, right? Because yes, we, we all that. Like, yeah, age. you know, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those. What would you tell your twelve year old self? Oh, yes. I would tell her to speak up. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you no, know, supported so that. But yeah, that I think that was the beautiful thing about our home is that it was it was both, and it wasn't one of the either other. or. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. wasn't the sacrifice of one.
0: So with that, I want to dive into your faith journey a little bit, because that's the biggest thing in my mind is somebody like so many that are, you know, deconstructing, reconstructing faith. So when you said your mom taught Bible studies, wrote Bible studies, I mean, I cannot help but think how, how it was such a weapon, you know, the boarding schools, all of that Christianity was a weapon against your ancestors, against her ancestors. She had to know those stories, know that, but yet she still embraced or reclaimed her faith. So tell me just a little bit your faith journey. You grew up with the pastor, dad, was it, you were in a, you're Baptist now, but you were in a church that was predominantly, he, like you said, he preached to mainly indigenous people. So t- share a little bit of that. Cause I'm trying to get my mind around how, how
1: that all worked together. That's the big question, isn't it? Yes. And there's not too many of us who can talk about that because I, I actually don't know any other native American children whose father was white and pastoring in native American church. I, I mm-hmm. think that there's mm-hmm. just there's probably maybe a handful of us, and I don't know of anybody else. Right, right. So it's it it was not a big deal when I was growing up, but now I'm like, oh yeah, that's significant. And people are like, oh, and I when I talk about it, people are like, I'm so glad you're talking about that because I've always wanted to ask you. I'm like, that's so great. <laughs> so you know, so here we go. And you know, there's there's no like topics here on her story speaks. You know, Andrea just she <laughs> dives right. right in. <laughs> right. I'm like we're just,
0: with the flow of the conversation, but here's what inquiring minds really want to know.
1: So it is. so to be clear, my my dad was a pastor and they were definitely Christian Native American churches. So there definitely is that vein within um, Native America. It is not, it is more common in some tribal nations than others. So there's also that. I come from a long line of um Christian Muscogee people. So that is something that has been also that faith has been also passed down. And so when my mom um you know became a Christian, th- there that was a that was a natural step just like it would have been um you know for many in their in their homes growing up in church. She also grew up in church and my grandparents were Christians and and so on. So, you know that wasn't anything new. She wasn't leaving this this um, culture to enter Christianity. And so there wasn't this giving up of something. With that, there is there is a lot of um, intensity when it when you talk about being a Christian and being Native American. There Mm -hmm. is a lot of nuance there and there's a lot of complexity because so much of Native culture is spiritual. And so there are some things that as a Native American Christian that I do not practice. And so I do talk about this very sensitively because I do recognize that I don't necessarily care about the people who feel like I should assimilate and I should walk away from being native American to be a Christian. Like those people, I, I'm not concerned about like those majority spaces. I, I I don't have a problem um, discussing that with them and, and basically ignoring that kind of um, that kind of language. But I do want to be sensitive and that I do acknowledge that for native American spaces, for many um, Christianity is such a hurtful um, and rightfully so. Conversation to have. Mm -hmm. And so, for Native Americans to step in and accept a Christian faith with the atrocities that have happened against our people is really just beyond comprehension for some. And so, I do recognize that. And I want to be sensitive to that as well Um, for any Native Americans who, you know, listen to this episode, um, because I think that's also important. And even though I do have my own story, my own beliefs, and they are very strong and very foundational, and um, they are not swaying anytime soon, I do want to also recognize that there is that, um, that tenseness and that tension yeah. and that rejection. I think wow. you Right. And I thank you for saying
0: that, because the goal is not, I want my listeners converted to Christianity at all. And I don't want you telling your story. It's not my goal with having you tell it. It's just me as someone and many others that are wrestling with this Christian faith, how you found yeah. your own, I guess, peace within that tension. Yeah. You know, because even as you're telling about your mom becoming a Christian or her grandparents or parents. I mean, I'm just thinking like, okay, what, what did they have to give up? Like, there's just so much there because knowing, like, you know, having read Braiding Sweetgrass or those stories, like there's so many just sacred stories. And so I just wonder how you wrestle with, that's a lot deeper, but I'm glad that you said that because that is not the goal to be like, yes, everybody, Indigenous people need to convert to Christianity because that is not, not the goal of sharing these stories or this podcast. I'm just curious with your own
1: story, how you got there. No, absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you're reading Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. I should actually buy that book in um, bulk because (laughs) I keep ordering it for people. Mm -hmm. So my husband Mm -hmm. would probably appreciate if I would just buy a case of it and just, you know, Mm -hmm. be done with it. Um, but I, you know, one of the things that is, um, Very foundational for me, very naturally foundational is being a Muscogee Christian. Um, having that faith is while also being outspoken about our history Mm -hmm. is, is interesting, I, I, I guess, um, and especially with boarding schools and the history of boarding schools in North America and the removal of homes today and, the, you know, the fight against ICWA, which is, you know, Indian Child Welfare, Welfare Act mm-hmm. and all of those things being underneath the, um, claim that, you know, this is godly and that this is, um, Christ based, you know, and the atrocities that happened and, and, um, misusing scripture in that way. And so one of the, you know, one of the things I, I've come to a place of real security with both living, um, you know, being native and Christian in my life, very harmoniously. It's, it's the reality because the reality that my faith is, is not in the, the people of Christianity, but it's in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I have to keep that very clear because Christians can be awful. You know, I think we're seeing that Mm -hmm. over and over and we're Mm -hmm. seeing people leave the church because of Christians Mm
0: -hmm. and,
1: and Christians really digging in their heels even more so against scriptural um, foundation. And so I have to just remind myself and others as I talk about being a Native American Christian that my faith is not in um, Christianity. My faith is in Jesus Christ and yeah. that I will not sway on. And and that I'm very strong in my, my belief there and um, the words of Christ and the ministry of Christ yes. and all of that is who I follow and and what I follow. And so, for me, even as much as I want to keep the church accountable today, and I definitely do, so much so do where I get questioned. Are you like? Why, why are you still in the church? Because you seem to be anti church. Like I love the church, and I'm going to hold that thing accountable until I see mm-hmm, some change. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, but my faith is in Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, that I think that is important that I'm fully created in the image of God. And that places me in a position of acceptance of both lineage and faith. You know, I'm, I was very much created um from native people and, um, from, you know, German, Scottish, and Czech people, you know? And so there's, there's that strong heritage on that end as well. And so, um, you know, that, that is just foundational for me. And so I, I really don't struggle with being both. Um, it's not something that I feel like I have to sway or sacrifice anything. Um, but I do go back to the fact that there are some things that I do not participate in and I don't practice, um, culturally because of the spiritual side effect, not side effect, the spiritual side of, Mm -hmm. um, of, you know, being native American. So, but I don't feel like I have to, um, you know, assimilate to be able to fit into Christianity because it's, it's just who I am. And And putting that
0: focus on Jesus has been a a big part of my story too, of like, getting rid of all that other, and like, let's, let's focus on what Jesus and let's, because we've seen the worst of Christianity in the last few years really come to the surface. I mean, it's always right. been the worst of it here since our history. But so we can edit this out. But it's a question I have to ask. <laughs> but because I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this. But since we brought up the book Braiding Sweetgrass, which I love, and I especially love the creation story. In writing Sweetgrass, talking about Turtle Island and Sky Woman, and it, it just gives me chills. And how that story just embraces our Earth, but it talks about the author talks about you know Eve would think she got the raw end of the deal, like being banished from the garden. So when you say you don't have to sacrifice, how do you wrestle with the Bible creation the Bible creation story, and then you have the
1: indigenous stories? And again, I can I can edit that if you're like, well, where did that come from? <laughs> I I love reading Sweetgrass and. I just love everything about, I love everything about that book. Um, And one of the reasons why I really like it is because it does give you a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. And I recommend it to people, Christians all the time, like, read this book, because this is an amazing book. Um, Because I think creation is so vast, yet so um, um, intimate. Be in just the, you know, the breath of God, um, and how God chooses to create. And I happen to be a believer of someone that, you know, Jesus Christ is the only way for an, an eternal life. You know, I'm very foundational in that. Um, but I do also realize that I have no real say on a translation that I read that God is limited to that translation that I'm that I'm reading on a daily basis. I look at the creation story. I really, over the past decade and a half, two decades, I've really kind of dove into that. Dove in? Is that a word? It is today. I
0: think Because so, it's not dive <laughs> in, dove, into, or dove. Dove in? either one. I Gabby have dove, dove into the
1: creation story. Um, from the perspective of being Native American, because there is such connections to land and, and, yes. and water and just caring for that. And so I looked at that and you know, reading books like Breeding Sweetgrass, hearing stories about creation stories that indigenous people have all over the mm. world. And so I kind of have decided to sit in the realization that I just don't know it all. And so, right. especially with something like braiding sweetgrass, who am I to say that this is not the process, you know? Right. And and it's kind of, you can't just go out and be, publicly acknowledging that, you know, I mean, because there's gonna be people who are like, what is she talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's against the Bible. And that's why I told you you didn't have to answer if you didn't want to, because <laughs> I gave you zero warning. <laughs> and it, and it, it's it's not that you know it's not that at all. I think that there is a just just as a lot of Native Americans call God um mystery, mm-hmm. you know, creator. Mm-hmm. There's not this um approved list of names for you know God that we have to be, you know, limited to um, when we're talking about, you know, God is mystery. We, the Bible talks about oh, this. And right. so for Native American people to call God mystery, um, it's true, you know, and right. call God creator. It's true. And there's no universalist thought behind that. It's it's just, who am I to say that they're that this that this limited view of, um, translators, you know, God inspired. Absolutely. I believe that as well, still human. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can't have all the things all at once. We just can't, we can barely understand the text that we do have. Right. And we know that the story is much more than that. I mean, I, I should probably say we should know the story is more than that. Like if you think that the only thing that has happened in the Bible, um, was the only, you know, if you, if you feel like that's the only thing that has happened, you need to expand a little bit, you know, because this is um, a portion of it.
0: So I think it goes back to that. God is so much bigger, I think is what it comes to, at least for me, like reading all these stories. I'm like, God is so much bigger. And this is our human minds. God inspired human minds trying to grapple, grapple with it.
1: Um, Yeah. And I don't want to ever side on the part that tries to limit that. So I choose to not limit it. And it's not justifying other of you, you know, other things like, you know, this creation story and breeding sweetgrass and sky woman. And, you know, but there's, there is this story and it's a real common story throughout indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And which is interesting to me. And it's fascinating to me and I don't ever limit God with that. I'm like, Hey, you know, but I, with that, I, I, I want to say that in this work of like racial reconciliation and and cultural awareness, and even in this work of trying to, you know, indigenize people's feeds and things like that, I'm in constant communication with God about making sure that I am theologically sound and making sure that I am not swaying from truth. Um, And so I sit there often, I'm like, please let me know. However you need to, if I'm, if I am straying away from truth, um, challenge me to think beyond what I can think about on my own. But if I take that too far to where I am reaching, bring me back. And I'm asking for that. And I think when it comes down to the character of God, that's not going to be something that God's like, I'm going to let you go out there and be heretical for a little bit. You know, right. I think that, um, you know, God's going to, you know, keep that kind of back with me. I've, I've asked for it. And so, anyway. That's just a side note to your side question. That's right. Um, Sorry. Just a little, just a little trivial question I had for you. Just a little side note. Um, but I I think that um yeah, I I just don't want to limit, um I don't I don't want my own my own perception to to limit who God is. And so yeah,
0: yeah, I could keep on going because I do think it's it's fascinating, really. And again, how much we've limited God and then how much more expansive that he she they are actually and the ties with the earth i think that you see in all of these stories um right is so important so speaking of stories this conversation is going to air around thanksgiving and there's a sugar-coated story that's been whitewashed throughout our history and i think you know part of you like you know reclaiming faith is reclaiming these stories in history and you wrote an article for PAX about lessons on, non- on non-violence for Native Americans, rethinking Native Americans. Yeah. You know, when we and when we think about, which is interesting, because when we think about Thanksgiving and what we were presented with as children was, you know, oh, it was just a peaceful little get together and, you know, great meal celebrated, had to act it out, all that ridiculousness.
1: Um, why do we have to act it, it out? That's my question. Oh my like, gosh, I mean, I, we have to act things out? I
0: can remember the brown paper bags and like making the little out. Like, I just can't even believe in our lifetime that that all happened now that we are where we are. I mean, Thanksgiving
1: has kept that construction paper company going for <laughs> our
0: generation. Oh my gosh. So in that story, Native Americans are presented as peaceful, as well as the pilgrims, innocent. But then at some point they change to, you know, Violent quote savages, not my words. So talk a little bit about that, and maybe just reclaiming that story and the peacemaking, the the nonviolence, really that Native Americans are, and kind of let's talk about that. But then also, I want to know how you navigate Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. So when I when I wrote that article, I was actually really excited about that because I have never been asked what I think about the narrative of the violent Native American, Mm -hmm. and even though that is historically the perception of of who we were, so that was, that was interesting. So when they said, Hey, would you write about this? I'm like, absolutely. I mean, sign me up. And, Mm -hmm. and then I started writing it. And then I had to ask for an extension from the editor. Cause I, you know, a couple of like moments of tightening of the chest and I was like, okay, this is, this is an important story to tell. It is not just this, Hey, you know, nonviolent focus. It, this is a significant, prejudice and and, um, bias that people have against Native Americans historically. And so I really thought about who we have been throughout history and who the Native American has been. And then I realized Native Americans have not shifted too much. I mean, I'm sure, you know, everyone kind of evolves as people and people groups and societies, but you know foundationally we we have stayed the same it's been your predominantly white society that has shifted And so I think even in this article, I talk about, or I try to anyway, um, try to walk through, you know, the the pilgrim, the friendly Native American, you know, who shares the food and, you know, and therefore we have, they somehow they found construction paper and they made really cheesy things to put on their heads and in their tables. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all that story. So then as the pilgrim changes um, shifts the narrative to colonization, the Native American has to shift right like they have to become the person who is you know kind of these people have to be conquered, you know because they're here they have this land, and we also want the land because we don't want to go back to our land because mm-hmm. we left there um for whatever reason that you want to um, stand by why they left they did and So the pilgrim has to change into the colonizer and to kind of dominate the land, these people have to shift and have to be removed because there's no sharing. You have to just come in and just take it, you know? So the narrative kind of shifts. And so you have more of, you know, the Native American who becomes a little bit more of a, these people group to be conquered. And then you, you know, you move them from their land. And so we're all moved, whether, you know, everyone kind of has their own trail of tears story or at some point they have been, you know, shifted. So then you have like this settlerism that kind of kicks in. And so the narrative, again, has to shift about the Native American because the story shifts and the purpose shifts, because then it's about like, you know, this empire.
0: I'm going to read one of your quotes because it's so powerful. It says, "You oh, we, became, we became the barrier, barrier to someone else's profit, profitable life. We became the issue. So we became the violent enemy. Oh my gosh, right. That is so powerful and true. Yes. And that's how, how, yeah. how that story changed to fit yeah, that. Narrative. Yeah. So you
1: should have just sent, you should have just told me to share that quote so I could have just wrapped all. <laughs> no, of it. no, no, no. But I'm <laughs> like, that. that's a good one. It, it's you wrote true. that. I mean, it's um, so but, so true. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the narrative shifts. And so we have to shift. And so what i tried to do in this article was to talk about how foundationally you know even though we do have you know th- there's always conflict you know with people and and people groups but foundationally there is this desire for um peace Mm-hmm. And which is why you would have that story to begin with of your friendly native Americans, because there probably was this desire for, you know, at least trying to be hospitable. And so, you know, I, I do believe that that that's part of it. And, but yeah, the, the non, the, the violence, um, but really how foundational we are nonviolent um, in action. And I think today that still is contrary to what is perceived by people and Absolutely. what is presented by people. So you know, today we are in the way of still the empire. We're in the way of um corporation and and that dominance in that sense. And so your pipelines were in the way of that, you know, of that movement. We're in we're in the way of Everybody feeling good about who they are historically, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Because to be able to talk about who we really were, you would have to take responsibility for who you were and nobody wants to do that. So we still remain that that enemy so to speak and today it's very easy to switch that to we become a problem you know we become you know we're we're completely dependent on handouts and free this and we gain this you know freedom financially through these things and You know, there's just that misconception all the way through. But yeah, with that, I think it was important just to be able to show we stayed pretty consistent, but who we were had to had to shift in the narrative to be able to justify the action.
0: Right. But what the story in my mind, I think that it stayed the same as it's white supremacy again colonizers again that's how they they stay in power and because they're hitting everyone else as a bad guy or what we're doing is the needed and necessary the god thing yeah. and they're the back how else could you justify the horrific stories right um, and i think about you know you you're very clear in this article we'll put a link to it it's just like you said the peacemaker aspect of the indigenous indigenous people and i think about how that ties into scripture of like blessed are the peacemakers, you know, and that and that is the story of Native Americans. Will you share quickly with that part of the story about the is it counting coup? Is it how's that last part? Okay. Yeah. Good
1: Would good you job. mind just share? Okay.
0: I thought it was pronounced it does that it is not spelled okay. that way. Okay. <laughs> I, I was hmm. Would, do you mind just sharing a bit of that? Cause I think that's just a really powerful part of, of your story, the Native American
1: story and like what what they're holding on to to per, to project and who they are. Yeah. It's, you know, counting coup, which is actually C O U P. So that's why I said, good job in pronouncing it. Um, you know, it's not, it's not native wide practice. It it really was primarily our high plains relatives that, um, you know, kind of began that. And one of the, um, I think one of the important things with that is you're letting the person know, that you are close enough to, to harm them, you know, physically, um, you know, there was even, you know, coming in and, and, um, you know, the tapping of feathers and things like that. So you're letting the, the enemy, we'll just use that in this term. Um, the enemy know that you are close enough that you could physically harm them, but you're choosing to respect their right to live. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was a newer concept for me. Um, you know, I had heard at one point just, um, you know, always respect life, and I'm like, sure, respect life—that's common right, sense. Right, right, right. Um, but the more that I, you know, learned about, you know, other indigenous peoples, um, that came to light, and I was like, that's that's really fascinating. So it, it really is this, um, you know, I I am close enough to where I could harm you, I could put your life in jeopardy, I could um, uh, begin violence and. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing not to, and it's not because there's not the the right to, it's not that there's not a reason to, I'm just choosing to respect your life to live. And in return, I want you to respect my life, my right to live. And so I think that is, um, I think it's Sherry Mitchell, cause I want to make sure I give um, credit where credit is due. Um, And so she says Native people's desire for peace from the standpoint of counting coup as, I'm close enough that I could choose to hurt you if that were my intention. It is not my intention to hurt you. I honor your right to live and I ask that you honor my right to live as well. And so there's this respect for life both in quality of life and literally in life. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be sure and add that because I thought that was something that I myself had learned Mm -hmm. as an adult and I just thought it was a beautiful thing. And, and so we've kind of seen that, you know, happen occasionally in our society. And, and I think that's just, yeah, I thought that was worth the mention because I thought that was for sure.
0: And I also see it as a, a little bit of the message of Jesus, right? this life we're it Im- we're made in the image of god and even though we all you know especially people outside them you know have this ability to hurt like what did jesus say you know he's reaching to the margins that we are all right. so valuable and we can get close but we should not not hurt and be the peacekeepers um, yeah it's pretty or peacemakers yeah
1: yeah um, and you know there's there's people who are peacekeepers for I know, I one side so. probably but not peacemakers ultimately Cause right. peacemakers really it's it requires a lot so right Okay. I think it was even Marcy it's, that said that on one of your podcasts once. Did,
0: did she? Okay. we've think- we, Her and I have talked a lot. It probably was because there is a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. And that's why I want to make sure I use yes. the right word from your articles, peacemakers. Yeah. I'd love to hear from Thanksgiving about Thanksgiving, how you navigate that as an indigenous woman. Do you even acknowledge it? Do you, how do you, you have three children. How did you acknowledge that growing up or did you not, or when they were growing up or did you not?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, Most people who are listening to this are going to walk away feeling good about still having turkey on their tables next week. I'm not telling you to get rid of the turkey. You know, just make sure everything's well seasoned and have good size and you know, and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, this is a historic day. You know, right? It's a historical day, and historically, it's been a day that we have misrepresented grossly. But I think when I when I think about Thanksgiving, and this is what I tell people a lot, is I can lament what has happened to Indigenous people, and I can still acknowledge the fact that Thanksgiving is not going anywhere. It is a holiday. So for me, there are some people that I know who do not honor Thanksgiving and they are indigenous people and they just continue without their day. Majority of my Native American friends, we are going to gather with people we love on Thanksgiving. And... I don't think about anything outside of the people that I love. You know, I send texts to my good friends. We make sure that we tell everybody who's there, how much we care about them. Mm -hmm. And so there is this dedicated time to practice gratefulness and to be thankful. And I think that there is a beauty in that. And I think that you can separate the historical aspect of it and still celebrate the moment of, you know, a biblical approach of of being grateful for somebody and loving, you know, our fellow man, you know, and our fellow Christians and whoever you're around on that day. So I think that there is beauty in that. And so that's kind of where I land with Thanksgiving, because Mm -hmm, I I could come in and say, absolutely. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, you are a horrible person. You know, I can make a statement like that, but I don't believe it. You know, I, I'm going to be going and being with family and we are going to get away and I'm not going to think about anything uh, appropriative. You know, I'm not going to think about the cheesiness that comes along with Thanksgiving. And I think if there was an encouragement, it would be to get rid of those aspects, you know, you know, celebrate the people that you love, celebrate the gratefulness and celebrate the memories of those who are, you know, not going to be there and, you know, have those moments and really just embrace that time. And if there's a sacrifice for anything, sacrifice the historical aspect of it you know, sacrifice the misconception of what Thanksgiving was and make it something today that is, is completely focused on, um, you know, God's provision and gratefulness. And, and even, even if this is a painful time, you know, holidays can be painful for so many people. And even if it's a painful time, just to be able to focus on those, those things that make you happy, whether it's self-care, I've got a friend who goes away every year by herself, on Thanksgiving and she just gets room service and she just watches movies. And the next day she does like a massage and she just kind of blocks out everything, you know, however that presents itself in your life. And so I really do just separate the historical aspect of it from what I, I feel like it could be today. So that's, that's kind of how I navigate Thanksgiving and, and most of the people around me do the same thing and they're going to, they're going to get together and, you know, definitely have native American food. I mean, they're going to have all the, all the yummiest, but You know, I think that's kind of just, I think that's an appropriate way to accept the reality of where it is and to also be able to step away from the dishonor of of what it has been.
0: I I mean, I really do appreciate that because as a white woman raising, I mean, I have my 18 year old, 19 year old now, but also a 12 year old. And it's like how relearning history, unwashing it, that's not really a word, but like, how do you navigate that? So I appreciate that. And for us, that looks like, you know, learning the real history of of indigenous people and diving into the more truths, but we still continue to get together with family. But this year I'm like, we're not even doing the traditional, we're just like making it our own. And also the thankfulness and the being with family, you know, losing, losing a parent makes you reframe all of that too. So that's kind of what we're doing. So going back to the Thanksgiving, what would your advice be to maybe parents of young children that and I don't even know what are young kids learning in school right now since mine are out of that are they still learning
1: surely yeah. they're not learning what we learned right I I'm in Texas so okay. oh no they might be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry so are they learning about Native Americans <laughs> I'm not really. Sure. Right. Um right. That that's the big question. So, mm-hmm. but my children are also no longer in the public school system and I am not mourning that whatsoever. So, I don't even know necessarily what what kids are are learning.
0: Yeah, I don't that. I don't either. I'm just assuming they're not all learning this like pretty Thanksgiving story, but they actually might be. I will say that indigenous peoples history of the United States has been an amazing book just for me. And there's also a kid's version. So I just, yeah. that's something I would encourage maybe parents of younger kids to get to start just learning the real history. Maybe even on Thanksgiving, it's doing the land acknowledgement, you know, yeah. with your family and taking a deeper dive into those tribes that own the land. Do you have any other thoughts or suggestions maybe for parents? Oh, I think that's great. That I
1: yeah, I think like that land acknowledgement and, you know, even having your kids, you know, if all kids are savvy on the interwebs, but, you know, even having them putting it into the map and and looking up their city and, and then seeing if they can you know what names come up and, and things like that and kind of make it be something that they're, that they're doing. You know, I think that that, I think that would be a beautiful thing. There is a book that just came out. I always keep some Native American books close by. Yes, I've There is a book there. that just came out by Adrian Keene. Mm-hmm. And so it is called Notable Native People. Okay. And literally it just came out, I think like a week ago. So it's about 50 indigenous leaders. There's some that are you know still living today. And so there's that as well that you could even walk through. I really love giving people resources. Yeah, it's Especially... really, it's really wonderful. And actually I think Twilight, who I mentioned earlier, she's mm-hmm. one of the ones in here, so okay, yeah. So it's awesome. it's really an amazing kind of book, and so that would actually okay. be really good learning about notable Native Americans right. historically and in currently. So hey, okay, yeah. we will put
0: links to all that, and then we're gonna wrap up here, uh, Mariah. As far as books go, I'm also curious of your thoughts. If this is one that we should put links to the First Nations Bible. Uh, I've really appreciated this. Do you have? Have you read this, the First Nations version that just came out? Yes, and usually okay. I have them
1: right here, but it got moved. Um, yeah. Yeah, I
0: okay. think I was. Great. I was just curious what an indigenous person thought because I've I've really really appreciated it in the language and just that different perspective. So that's one you would recommend as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really. I think that's a good one. And I, I, I was kind of skeptical, skeptical Same. when that's I first came I out. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. what is this going to be about? And mm-hmm. I thought they did a really good job because you know that that was not an easy task. And so I really appreciated how and they. There's some humor in there too, that some people probably won't get, um, unless you're Native American, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think they even talk about like fry bread in there. And I just like cackled out loud and the person I was reading it with did not, I was like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. see, I probably didn't laugh at that. I'm like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to have to go back and look for
1: the humor. What? <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, because it's, you know, it's. So I think that's a really good. Just to give you a different perspective, you know, I I think people who, you know, I think there's gonna be people who are critical of it as well, just because you are trying to wrap in so many representations into Mm -hmm. one, you know, thought for thought. But yeah, I think it was, I think it was well done, and and I've been recommending it to people absolutely.
0: All right, we gotta wrap up. I've already kept you longer than I said I would, but um, I'll let my listeners know that we are gonna have, I am gonna have you back at some time because a topic that's really near to your heart and that you're passionate about is talking about missing and murdered indigenous women. And I think it's a conversation that merits an entire episode that um, to tell those stories and to dive a little bit deeper into that. So we will have you back to talk about that. In the meantime, where can people find you and connect with you and all of that, Mariah?
1: I'm pretty easy to find. So I'm Mariah Humphreys on everything. So Mariah Humphreys on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and You can also find me um, being part of the voices of uh, Be The Bridge. So anything that you follow with them, at some point, I will peek my head in there and, and add something. And yeah, so that's it's pretty easy to pretty easy to spot me.
0: Mariah, thank you so much for this conversation today and just being willing to answer whatever questions I, I throw at you. So thank you.
1: Yes, it was so great. I, I was so excited. And I, I do want to let you know, too, that you, you definitely acknowledge that this could have been a very difficult month for me to speak mm-hmm. and talk to you. And not everybody does that. And so I think that's important for people to hear mm-hmm. that you were aware that there could have been a heaviness. And even traumatic or triggering Mm -hmm. conversation. And you left that up to me to decide whether I wanted to do that this month. And not everybody does that. It's usually, hey, it's Native American Heritage Month. So we would love for you to speak on this. And I'm like, I don't even get to choose what I want to speak on what, what the heck. And, and you, and you really just were like, I would love to just get to know you. And so you gave like some prompts and you left it up to me. And so I was like, I'm absolutely going to do this because mm. of the way that you approached me. And so not everybody does that. So I just wanted you to know that that was, um, such a relief and, it kind of relieved it some, some weight that yeah. would normally come into, you know, this month. So I, I, really do appreciate that. I think that's important for you to, for you to know. So.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for being willing to give, share your story and lend your voice to this month. And yeah, I'm looking, I'm already looking forward to having you back because I want to, the next topic is a really important one too. So thank you, Mariah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. The resources mentioned, as well as the entire piece Mariah authored that we discussed, is listed in the show notes for this episode. This Thanksgiving, I encourage you to start learning the true and full Indigenous people's history of this country. And don't just stop learning once the holiday or this month is over. We have so much to learn from Native American voices as we pursue true justice and healing in our country.